Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfi. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm show, keyboardist, singer, composer, and producer, Theophilus Coakley, best known as founder and leader of the funk and disco band T-Connection. The group, which included his younger brother, Kirkwood Coakley on bass, released eight albums from 1977 through 1984. Those featured six top 40 R&B singles and five top 10 dance tracks, including the number one song, Do What You Want to Do. Among the classic funk jams from throughout their recording history was Lady of the Night, Peace Line, Funk Connection, Funky Lady, Coming Back for More, Groove City, Everything is Cool, I Like Funkin' With You, Totally Connected, Superstar, and Anything Goes. Impressive list. Theo, it's so great to have you here. How are you? Oh, it's my pleasure, Scott. It's my pleasure. I love the show, man. Well, thank you. Thank you. So good to have you. Finally been a fan. You know, I, I made the T-Connection back in uh, 1978, so great to have you here. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Where, where, where are you today, Phil? I'm in California. I've been living here now for about 27 years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Southern California? or Yeah, Southern California. I got married, so I stayed. <laughs> my wife's a teacher, so... She's um, one of the best teachers here, so she want to continue that. So we stayed. Uh huh. All right. Well, you know, I'm from Los Angeles originally, so okay. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm, I'm not in, there anymore. I'm in Beaumont right now, Beaumont, California, pretty near the Palm Springs. Yeah. Oh, okay. The desert, yeah. Yeah, the desert. Yeah. Nice. I enjoyed uh, Palm Springs, Palm Desert. Used to go out there for spring break when I was college age. It was pretty wild. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> outstanding uh theo so glad to have you here and um you know uh obviously uh you're you're originally from the bahamas right yes okay could you tell everyone a little bit about that and how music came into your life well i i grew up in nassau bahamas that's the capital of the bahamas and um 
they had just one radio station, ZNS, which is the government-run station. And so because they had the one station, they played all kinds of music. And so that was my um, beginning of listening to music. And um, so that's the reason why if you listen to my music, you would hear that a lot of different influences because, you know, they played so many different things. And when they played James Brown, I just went crazy. I mean, because he was so funky and I never heard, I believe he invented it because I, I, I don't think I heard it before him. Um, and then after that, you just heard so much. And then I was, my music was informed mostly by um, Bahamian music, which is called Rake and Straight. They have a lot of names for it, Rake and Scrape, uh, Junkanoo, Goombe, and stuff like that. And um, when I decided I was going to be in the business is when I had um, a birthday party that my parents threw for me because I did well in school. And so um, I had these three guys. Um, they were the popular group in the islands, and they were playing at my birthday party in my yard. And once they started playing, the way everybody felt about that, I had said, you know, that's the business I want to be in right there. I want to make people feel like they're making us feel. Because um, before that, I, I played and uh, piano and everything like that. I, I was about, I don't know, 13 years old or something like that. I've been playing just self-taught for a while. And that's when I really decided I was going to be a musician because I wanted to. I wanted that more than anything. I want to be what they were, you know. So that that was my first introduction to thinking about my future career, you know. And did uh, Kirkwood follow in your footsteps, or how did that come to be that he also pursued music? Well, Kirkwood was living in another island when I came back from. I had gone to Freeport, which is another city. That was it was an American city in the Bahamas. It, it was. It was released out to a gentleman, uh, I can't remember his name right now, but he rented it uh, for not 99 years and he created a whole mini Vegas there. So when I went to play down there, I was um, around so many great musicians from a year and a few months. So when I went back to Nassau, I was so more far advanced than everybody else that I left back in Nassau. And so when, when I went back, I, I saved a lot of money in Freeport, and I had my brother Kirk come live with me. And I started him off trying to learn piano, but he was like, ah, oh, this is so hard, you know. So, you know, I thought about it. I said, you know what, if I try him on some instrument, I tried him on bass. So I took my guitar, my big acoustic guitar, took off the two strings, and this had four strings, and I started showing him the notes and everything like that. He picked up on it so fast, it was unbelievable. So, so I, I, I'm getting him a real bass. I got him a real bass, uh, and man, he was just playing everything that was on the radio. And so, that's how he got into business. Yeah. And what's the age difference between you two? Uh that's seven years. Oh, quite a bit. So yeah, you're really the big, big brother. Yeah. yeah. Well, he looks like he's like forty. <laughs> you know. Because he's a vegetarian and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I was his big brother. I, I raised him because when he came to live with me, he was like, I think 11, something like that. And so he had his own little group when he was like 13. And so I said, okay, I'm doing my group, The Connection. And he was playing down in another island with his friend, Berkeley Van Bird, who's the drummer. And so 
they came back after that little gig they did there. They were there for a couple months. And he was staying with me again. And by this time, he was in his, I don't know, 17, 18. So I said, um, no, I heard them practicing, those two, just bass and drums, and they were doing uh, uh, Marvin Gaye's uh, What's Going On. They were just playing, he was playing the bass, and the guy was playing the drums. And when I heard that, I was like, that's my battery right there. That's the battery, because it was so funky. And I said, that's my battery. So we started on this trio. And then, so when I, when I seriously was going to do it, I told the group I was playing with, I'm going to do my own group. I got the, I got the guys I want to, you know, do it with. I wanted young guys, you know. I don't want, a lot of the guys at the time were kind of steeped in what they had heard before. And they weren't hip to what was happening at the time, you know. And so, they were, but they were great players. But I wanted guys, I don't care if they were, I didn't care if they were as good as these guys. I just wanted them to be into what was happening at the time, you know. And they went into all the, all the shaft and all that. They could play all that stuff. And so basically, I put the group together as a trio, and I was going to look for a guitar player. I couldn't find a guitar player that I wanted. I wanted a young guy um, that can play all the new stuff. And Kirk suggested, uh, he said, I know this guy. He's around the corner, uh, Marty Brown. And so I said, hey, bring him around. And he comes around. And when I heard that strumming, because he he was a great rhythm player, man. Great, great rhythm player. And I said, okay, I got my band. I got my band. And so we started out, first gig we did was, because I practiced group for about, I don't know, eight, nine months. I just practiced, practiced every day. So we did a gig at one of the top clubs in Allen and went over pretty big. And then an owner of one of the most popular uh, clubs at the time called the show club heard us hey i want you to come to show club play there and so we started playing there but then unfortunately that was during the oil crisis and so there weren't a lot of tourists now and, and that's our bread butter you know tourism and so that gig closed down that place closed down and so a few months later i went to nassau beach and i talked nassau beach hotel was one of the hosts, I had a few bands, and I said, um, you know, I don't have anything right now, but I have a good group. And they had this room that nobody could swing. Nobody could make that room happen because there was a guy in there called Ronnie Butler, and he was hot as heck, you know, and he left him to do his own club. And so I said, man, I can swing this with my band, you know. I can swing this. I was really confident about it. And so he said, okay, I'll give you a shot, you know. So we went in there, and I don't know, Maybe a month or two, we had people around the block. And so I know, bam, we got we got this going. So a year later, <laughs> unbelievably, a guy comes down from Freeport. So I'm going to take you guys to Freeport. And um, I said, you know, we're here. we got a big audience. And he said, no, nah, I'll pay you twice what you're doing. Get whatever you want, you know. So he, so uh, we signed with him. We went down there. And because I was able to save so much money, because we had paid real, real well. So I took that money that I saved and I did a demo in a big studio where the BGs and all these guys were recording called Criteria. And so that demo, I used that demo and to get a deal because I, uh, Gary Davis, a Bahamian guy had a deal already with a, with a record company. He had a producer. So he introduced me to his producer and that's the guy that got us into the disco thing. 
And we got the deal because of my demo. He heard my demo. He said, okay, you guys, I like to work with you guys. And so, but he said, okay, the guy, the stuff you have in us is good. And it's good. It's R&B in it, but there's a thing happening called disco, which we had never heard of. And I want you guys to get into that. And I want you guys to do some breaks in the middle. And we said, oh, you know, you play some stuff. So he played some stuff for us. And we said, okay, we know what to do. So we went back and um, we we started to do, um, practice some of the songs we already had on the demo, but we tried to do a disco, but we tried to keep the funk in it. So, so we started practicing, do what you want to do. And Kirk just came up with that, that bass, you know, that bass in the front with the slap, the slap pluck and everything. You know? So right there, I said, that's good. That's good. But when we went to the break, I was like, ah, oh, we need something that break. That break. And so I went off to listen to the band. I came off the keyboard, go up there. And I said to Monks, the percussion player, Monks, play the tem, play the timbales. He played the timbales. And I was like, man, that's it. So we took it back to the producer. And he was really happy with it. So we recorded that. Of course, we had a, a recorded an instrumental before that because he wanted an instrumental called Disco Magic. But Do What You Want to Do is going to be the real song. That's going to be the song. And so when we did Do What You Want to Do and we started doing, he heard that bass line. He's like, oh, man, this is this is funky. This is going to be good. And so when we did that break, and then we did the scream in the break. I, I don't know if you remember that scream in the break at the end to take you into the other part. He just went crazy. He said, man, they're going to go nuts in New York. And so we, like, we felt really good about that because he knew the business. So he took it to New York. And he said, man, it's gone. It is, he said, it's gone. it's gone, man. It's just everybody's crazy about it. And so <laughs> before we could blank, it was like number one. And it was number one for like seven or eight weeks in a row. In oh. every single dance club in every single one. They had all this in, base, in Billboard, like three pages of it. We're number one in everything, and, and it wouldn't move, you know? And so that's when we knew we had something, you know? Wow. Um, <laughs> did, were there many American bands, like funk groups, that came to the islands to play? Did you get to see any of them? You know, yeah. who who influenced you that way? Well, you know, James Brown came when I was a kid. He came over there, and you could hear all that funk. You could be, I couldn't go in because I was too young, but I could stand outside and hear, like, Papa's got a brand new bag, which was really funky for that time. And um, uh, who else was there? Um, well, when I was a kid, there weren't that many funk bands that came over because funk was so new when I was a kid. So um, as far as later on, uh, Wilson Pickett had a band that came on. They were real funky, but I mean, that, that was his band. But as far as bands, there were not a lot of funky bands that came over. We just listened to them on the stations in Miami because we got the Miami stations. And so, you know, we love we love all the funk bands like the Meters um, and bands like that. Uh, Chocolate Milk, I don't know if you, they, you yeah, know, you're from, the punk man, so you know them, yeah. Yeah, they're from Louisiana. Yeah, chocolate milk. So they're the bands that we like in Bahamas, the funk bands. Yeah, so you got that uh, Bayou funk uh, with the meters and chocolate milk. Yeah, and the James Brown. You know, he had all stuff like um, Cold Sweat and stuff like that. And then Parliament and Funkadel, they came much later. They came more in the 70s. But in the 60s, it was the meters. They were like the funkiest thing going around. They were really funky. Yeah, great group. But there was a big audience in the islands for funk music or 
Yeah. James Brown was the man in the Islands. He yeah. was the man. I mean, he could, they, in the Bahamas, one guy said to me, if James Brown put on a record and nothing came out, everybody would say, wow, that's so great that nothing, even nothing came out. I mean, that's how popular he was. He could do it with nothing on it. So when he had that popcorn and um, that popcorn, it was, I think it was called Mother Popcorn or something like that. Yeah, you had one called Mother Popcorn. Yeah, yeah that, so that one, that was really popular there. He was really popular in the what, what about uh, some of the sort of the groups that had some world music influence like Mandrill? Oh, yeah. Or... Yeah, yeah. Because uh -huh. we had to play, when we started the band, we had played Mandrill and Samandi and what was the group from Osabisa, um, Milo Dibango. We played all that stuff. That was They were very popular, yeah. In time, yeah. So, what was your first trip to the states? The first trip I made to the states, I was with the band called the Blue Notes, not the the famous Blue Notes, a local group called the Blue Notes. And we came to record, and we recorded Miami, and I recorded "Do What You Want to Do." So that's a whole different "Do What You Want to Do." That's when I just wrote it, not the one we did with T Connection. And so that was the first we did to do what you want to do. And I wasn't a lead singer on it. The group lead singer was the lead singer. And I did Monday morning, song called Monday morning, which I did the lead on. But I I wasn't a singer yet. You know, I just sang it anyway. And people loved it in the Bahamas and everything like that. So that, that was the first trip to the United States. And about how old were you? Oh, I was probably 20, you know, 20, 21, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. So you got signed to a subsidiary of TK, right? So yes. uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band was blowing up. Um, did you get to meet any of those acts? Yeah, we met Casey and everything, but boy, they had a funky band. I mean, uh, that was <laughs> that's real song, man. And, you know, like, that guitar player, man, oh, God, I don't remember his name now, but he, he's, passed, he's passed now. Man, he was funky. So that was one of my favorite bands, Casey. And Casey's vocals just sat right on top of it. You know, it was perfect. You know, he didn't do a bunch of stuff. He just sat right on top of that, all that funk and didn't, and didn't get in the way of it. They were a great band. Casey's a great band. Yeah, I especially love that first album. Oh, um, man. Yeah. It was kicking. Uh, and that guitar solo on Get Down Tonight. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's it, man. That's it. Oh, my God. That was so good. That was so good. That's yeah. Uh, and their horn section, too. Oh, everything. I mean, they, they just had they had the right compositions. Casey's a real good songwriter. And um, they had the guitar player was unbelievable. And um, the horns, oh my goodness, the drummer, you know, bass player, Rick. You see, Rick don't overplay. He just he just sit right in there, man. I just love how he, because that made it funky, how he sat in there while all that other stuff is happening, the horns. And Casey just sat right on top of that vocal, man. It was perfect. Perfect group. So many of the best funk has a kind of understated bass, really, yeah, you know, yeah, that just yeah. sits in there, you know, and, and holds yeah. it down. Like if you listen to James Brown's uh, Papa's Got a Brand New Back, the bass was playing, doom, 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 and, and the drummer doing this little thing over here, and and James on top of that, you know what I mean? It was, it was funky. Yeah. I actually just had, uh, I don't know if you remember Jimmy Bohorn, but he was oh, yeah. on recently. And so yeah. we were talking a lot about TK yeah. and yeah. and Casey and all that. So, um, yeah. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy's great. Great singer. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that song was cool too that he did dance across yeah, the floor. Casey wrote that for him. Yeah, Casey wrote because Casey could have had a million seller with that himself, but he exactly. Casey's that kind of guy, you know. I said, "Hey, you want to you want to hit for you?" So that was what, good. What was what was inspiring your songwriting, Theo? Um, the first guy to inspire me when I heard his music was Elton John, because as far as songwriting, I bought his album because I used to listen to a. A, a program on WGBS in Miami, and they used to play new people. This guy, I think his name was China Ballas or something like that. He used to play all, mostly new people or stuff that's not on pop radio. And so when I heard this song called Border Song by Elvin John, this was kind of gospel. And I was like, this guy, I, I, I didn't know he was British. Uh, I thought it was a Black American artist, right? So I go and I get the album, oh, this <laughs> oh, this is so cool. This is super cool now because I didn't know that British guys sang like that. So anyway, he, I, I I listened to the whole album and his writing was just impeccable. And so I said I wanted to write too. I didn't write a lot like how he wrote, you know, but uh, Stevie Wonder is probably my favorite composer because I think he he has more lanes than everybody else. You know, he can go in a bunch of different lanes that not a lot of people can go. You know, they're great songs like Dylan and the Beatles and all those guys. They're all great writers. But Stevie has all these lanes. He can go in all the lanes they're in and he can go in all these other lanes, you know. And so he's always, to me, been my favorite songwriter. But the, the guy that started me when I started say, I'm going to write, I'm going to write songs after hearing that guy was Elton John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Stevie and Elton, two of the biggest best yeah. most prominent songwriters of the yeah. whole decade for sure great songwriters um and how did you come up with the name t connection uh my favorite movie at the time was the french connection with gene hackman my favorite actor of all time popeye yeah. doyle <laughs> uh, popeye doyle that's my guy and so i saw like that movie i saw it in canada i was in canada when i saw that and i said oh when i started to name my group i just thought of a movie French connection, T connection, because everyone calls me T. So, you know, my mother calls me T, my father called, you know, called me T. And so anytime they call me Theophilus, I know I'm in trouble because they never <laughs> use my name except when I'm in trouble. So that's why I named it after that, that uh, uh, film. Yeah. And did you have any other siblings or just you and Kirk? Uh, no, uh, it was 10 of us all together. Wow. And then my, Father remarried. My mother died young, so my father remarried because he still had young children. So he had to have a wife, you know what I mean? Because he had what five five young children. So she had, I think, nine or ten kids for him. So they're all my siblings, and so we. I think it's thirty five altogether siblings um, that he, he had. Mm. But, but <laughs> he, he was definitely a player, man. But yeah. anyway, we it was ten of us in in my in my with my mother, and so. My sisters can all sing. They didn't go professional, but they could have been. Like my sister married to sing a butter off. I mean, she could sing like she would sing the Shirelles and and the Supremes and all that and the Marvelettes, and it wouldn't be any, you couldn't hear any difference. She was that good, and all my other sisters sang background to her. So they could have been in the business also, but they didn't go. She went somewhere else. So nice. my sisters were very my my Oma was very talented in music. He never really played professionally, but he was talented singing and playing. Wow, definitely in those genes, that yeah, music I think so. connection. I think so. Yeah, I think so. 
Very cool. Um, so when um, Do What You Want to Do blew up like that, did you start doing any uh, shows based on that, or were you still uh, working on some studio stuff? No, we we went we we start we went to tour. We did some tours with Average White Band, uh, Slave. I know you got to know them. They were mm-hmm. funny. I think, I think they're on this shirt somewhere. They're all on this shirt, just about. Okay. So we started off with that. That's the first gig we did. I mean, major gig. We did some little clubs around New York, but major gig, like in an auditorium, was Average White Band, who just floored us. They were so good live. And and we, then later on, we did, who did we go now? Oh, yeah, with Bootsy Collins and Radio, Ray Parker Jr., and so the, us three groups, we did like the Southeast. And the next year we did the Izzy Brothers. Wow. Izzy Brothers. Brothers. <laughs> uh, and and these, these, a lot of these guys are our favorite artists. The Izzy Brothers were one of my favorite artists. And and uh, War, we, we were War on a couple of gigs. And some others, you know, then we did these big outdoor things where they were like all day, Ohio Players, Sun, all these funky groups, you know, and higher players were one of our favorites also. So got to see them and hang with hang with them for a couple of minutes anyway. And Lenny Lenny Williams, Lenny Williams, I think his name was. He was good on that show. Wow. You know, I saw the uh radio and bootsy show in Los Angeles, but you guys weren't on that leg of it. We, yeah, we didn't we, we were in the southeast. We were on the, we were on the east coast. We didn't come out to California until the eighties. Yeah, they, I know. They, I can see you guys. Yeah, they didn't. Book us, you know, they, they, we did come out here with Confunction, and I don't remember who it was Confunction, Clear. Oh boy, somebody else, Tom Brown. Well, we did a few gigs. We did the Cow Palace, and the one in San Diego got canceled. So we did about two gigs in California. We we mostly in the, in the East Coast on the on the East Coast. Yeah, no, I know. I I went to a lot of shows, but I didn't get to see T Connection. Unfortunately, yeah, that was, you know, yeah, that was. We had so much fun touring, man, because we were growing in the Bahamas, growing up in the Bahamas, and we were hearing all these groups on the radio, especially on Miami radio. And then you'd be you're playing with them, you know, you you're on the same stage, and you're opening for them, and whatever, man. It's just some great fun. Who are a couple of like? Um big personalities that you ran into from those groups that you kind of were friendly with? Yeah, like Bootsy, Ray Parker. I remember Ray Parker was playing uh, You Got the Love, I think it was, and he was playing, he was playing the guitar. And so when I said, like, man, you sound just like a record, man. That's great. He said, yeah, because that's me playing. He wrote that for Shaka Khan. So I said, oh, all right, excuse me. So yeah, them, average, average white band, one of our favorites, we met those guys. Uh, Benny King, because uh, he had a funk record. People don't not, don't remember that. I but do. He, um, what was it called? Um, Supernatural Thing. Supernatural Thing. So people just remember from, from uh, Stand By Me. Well, he's funky. He had that. That was a funky record. We used to play yeah. that. As T-Connection, we used to play that. And he signed up with us one night. He was on vacation in the Bahamas. He came to the club because our club was the happening club, right? And it was that's Benny King. And so, so I said, Mr. Benny King's in the house. I wonder if he'll come up and sing a song with us. And so we started playing that, you know, you know, he ran up there and he heard how well we could play it. And he said, Oh, supernatural. 
crowd just went bonkers. I mean, they went nuts. And so that was that was a great, great night. You remember what, what what town was that in? That was in 1975. But what city? What city was it in? That was in Nassau. Nassau. Yeah, he was on a vacation, you know. And so he came and sat in with us on that one song. That was great. And Joe Frazier, the boxer, he came, I didn't know he could sing, but he he could sing. He came <laughs> sang uh Mustang Sally with us. So we had that kind of thing happening there. We had the in club, you know, where people live in a hotel and they come to hear us, you know. So I got to meet a lot of people like that. Sammy Davis Jr., uh, whoever came to that place, you know, you met Sammy Davis Jr., uh, Jack Jones, Tony Bennett, you know, all those guys. Wow. You get to meet them all. That sounds like fun, big fun. Yeah. Uh, and then Benny King actually did a whole album with Average White Band, speaking of those yeah, Right, because he yeah. appeared with them on the gig we did with them. We did. We were in um, uh, Washington. What was, the, what was the name of that place? There's a big thing. It was like twenty five thousand people, and the average white band was the headliner. We came on first, and we did to do what you want to do. Everybody went crazy. All my keyboards fell down uh, in the middle of it, <laughs> and everybody thought it was part of the act. And the people started screaming. They don't know that it actually fell <laughs> accidentally. So. So the, the road crew is picking it up, picking it up, and the people are screaming, this is so cool, you know. And Monk said, gosh, he just kept playing. He didn't freak out. He just kept playing all his, you know, his part. And so people thought it was great. And so we were great just because of that, you know. And then Slave comes on, and they do really well. But when Average White Band comes on, it's like, oh, man, you know, because they had this new drummer because their drummer had passed. And the way they came on was he would just walk toward the band Bandstand. He was shaking a tamarind. The whole time he's shaking the tamarind, he's walking toward the drums, and he sits on the drums and he drops the tamarind like that, and he goes. He started the funk beat, and they all come in and they chime in. It was just unbelievable, and the crowd yeah. was wild like that. We were in the audience too because you know, they're one of our favorites, so we get to see them live. That's so cool. And they were fantastic. Their live album is a testament to how great oh, they yeah. were live back then. Actually, I think you're talking about Steve Ferroni, who was on the show uh, not yeah. too long ago, actually. So yeah. he's yeah. still out there playing those songs. Yeah, he was a drummer then because the other guy, I love the other guy too, but I never got to see him live. But Ferroni, I got to see him live. He's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, did you ever do any shows with uh, Shaka Khan and Rufus? No, but that's that's one of my regrets. I wish I could. I wish that could happen, I, because I had their albums. I had their albums because they were so different. When they came out, she had a she had her own style of singing that everybody was copying at that time. If you listen to "Funkin' for Jamaica," which is one of the funkiest songs ever, Tom Brown, that girl, she was she she sounded just like Shaka Khan. Everybody was trying to sound like Shaka, and she asked me if she could join our group. I said, what do you mean? She said, but if I don't get to sing here, maybe you guys will let me sing more. So I said, no, maybe. <laughs> not right, not right now. So, but she was uh wow, I mean, she was a good singer. She sang just like Shaka Khan, all of Shaka's licks and everything like that, because Shaka was so new, nobody sounded like that before. And that band was unbelievable. Tony Maiden is that was one of my the things I wish I could have done to play with them. Just play on the same stage with them yeah i never got the chance you know but you sure were with a lot of great ones from that list you just went yeah, through yeah, um, yeah 
definitely. So, um, you know, I became the first T Connection album I bought was um, the uh, self-titled one, which actually was the third album. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then I went back and listened to the other ones, and there's good stuff on the other ones. And I actually wanted to mention because um, you were saying that you wanted to be funkier and they wanted you to do disco but you try to keep the funk in yeah, the disco yeah, yeah um so to me a track like peace line you know still had some of that yeah peace um, line is the first record i ever recorded in nassau that's not the version it's the, the it was a local version i did and i wrote that song and said hey guys let's go do that and the reason the intro is like that is uh dio data had a song called 2001 which is a really funky thing and he used um Ricard Strauss's uh, uh, classical piece, da, 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 you know, and he had that, that it, bop, bop. so he on the when he did the other one, um, Rhapsody in Blue, he did that, bop, 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 bop. I, so I used that, and so I said that'll fit right in with Peace Line, and so that's why if you hear that intro on there, you know, but that was that's the first funky record we did. And that's a different version than the first one. Okay. Well, you know, uh, the second one was done in a good studio. I mean, what I shouldn't say that. Tina may be listening. But the, the studio in NASA was not that advanced yet. You know what I mean? It, it Now they, they have great studios, but at the time it was not. But we did that in criteria, so that, that's going to have a bigger sound, you know, than the, than the original but I love the original because I like the war while that Brown is playing in it. You know, there's always something you're gonna like from the records, no matter what. What did you learn from those first two records on Fire and Magic that you brought into that self-titled record in '78? Because um, to me, I don't know how you feel about it, Dale, but I feel like you know you guys really fully arrived with that third record because you had yeah. still some disco stuff, but it was more funk. Mm-hmm. And I think the songwriting throughout was just stronger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We what what I they, they wanted to go pure disco on that, you know, because Corey's thing he was the producer. His thing was disco. He wanted disco a certain way. I wanted to if you're going to do that, I want to be funky. Because a lot of the disco at the time was coming out of Europe, and it was kind of like you know, it's kind of like straight, nothing really much happening in it, like that like groove wise, like, which the drums was like. Uh, just straight uh, electronic, whatever. And so I said, well, you know, I can't go all the way with you, Corey. So I got, you know, so I had stuff like Funky Lady on it. And when I did Saturday Night, you know, that's really informed by Bahamian music because the whole groove is Junkanoo, you know. And the guitar players, they're playing what they're playing. I wanted break and scrape, straight break and scrape, but. They were young guys and they didn't know Rick Rick and Scrape that well. Okay. So I I tried to play the guitar and show them this. I'm like, yeah, we're playing the same thing you're doing. I said, no. And then I listened to what they were playing. I go, like, wow, that's even more interesting than what I was thinking. So I kept that. So that's why you had to get that. My thing was sticking, 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 like that. That's Rick and Scrape. That's pure Rick and Scrape. But they, you know, because Dave, they grew up in the States. He didn't know that music that well. And Brown was not into that at that time. So basically what they wound up playing with, I love that better anyway. So it was like, okay, great. This, this is going to happen. This is going to be great. So we did that. And we let Corey do his thing. His thing was like the breaks. 
percussion breaks and all that stuff. That's what he liked to do because he knows the clubs, people go crazy when they hear those breaks. So his thing was make sure you get some good breaks in the song. Were you ever at any clubs where a T Connection record came on? You got to see people dancing and enjoying it? Oh, yeah. They yeah. took us to uh, LA. We came out to LA to do promotion thing. We didn't play. Uh, we, and we went to this club. Oh, God. Century? No. Oh, God. I can't remember. It's, it, you go down by Tower Records because you, you're from California. So, you, you know, it's down by Tower Records. Probably defunct now. Anyway, it was a major club. And you know, I just can't remember the name. Not of the it. Roxy, not the Roxy. It's a oh, you know where Tower Records is on Sunset? I think it is. It's not there anymore, but yeah, there was a club. <laughs> there was a club there. Anyway, we went there, and the guy played the record, and the white man like, and then after he played the record, so we standing with the DJ. They said, you know, these guys, that's a guy that just did that, that song that you guys just danced to like that. So we went, so we did that, and in New York. We arrive in, arrive in New York, we're walking down the street, and, and we're walking past these record stores, and the guys around out, T-Connection, because it was huge in New York. They were around out, T-Connection, come on in here, let's talk to you, man. And so we had that kind of thing in New York. We go to passing on records, T-Connection, you know, so it was like that. And so it was just great. Do you remember when you first heard one of your records on the radio? Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I just went nuts. Oh, that's me. <laughs> well, you know what's so funny? I was uh my then girlfriend, um, uh, so we driving, we driving in the car. She doesn't know anything about Tika Nation because she's foreign. Okay. So and she uh, she never heard it. She, she was from Canada and she ne- connection wasn't in Canada yet. So anyway. You know, she lives in the Bahamas now, so we driving, and she's this. It comes on the radio on WMBM, and she's grooving. Wow, this is so cool! She's driving, you know, because I'm on the passengers. Well, and the end, the guys, that, that sounds a T connection. She said, "That's you. Why didn't you tell me that was you?" Because I said nothing. I just, you know, I don't want to say, "Hey, that's me." You know, I just want to see her real, you know, pure reaction. And inside, so I knew, "Wow, this thing is good." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was a little story about that. And was it do what you want to do or a different track? Do what you want to do. Yeah. That was playing all over Miami. All over Miami. Wow. That way, the only song that played in Florida more than, uh, uh, almost as much as that would have been the best of my love, a ballad. You know, that, that played a lot in Florida. But mm-hmm. do what you want to do, man. It was all over the United States. You know, it was it was like top 15, I think number 15 on R&B. And R&B was tougher than pop, actually. Because... All the big names, all the big names in R and B, R and B and pop were on the R and B charts. It's come on, this is the Earth, Wind and Fire. All, all these big artists were all on R and B. They were on pop too, but but they were already large pop groups. But the, the R and B thing, they just would crush everybody that come along because they're bigger. But we we were up in the top fifteen, which was good for R and B because that was tough, you know. Going back um, to that uh, T-Connection record, um, did you self-title it because you felt like you were making more of a statement about who you were on that one? Which which one? The third record, which was oh, just called oh, T-Connection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, to me, that was the album on TK. There's not, of all the albums to me, that just stands out. Uh, that, that That's the best album to me on, on, the, on that company there. Um, because I think we came full circle on that. 
you know, we 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 knew we did on these first two albums, and yeah, that was good. But I wanted to, and you know what helped those touring when we were touring with all those groups like the Isleys, you know, we we would come back and we said, you know what, we can make that even better. So we just did, we just everything got better because we did those tours because we'd go off for and a few weeks or something like that and come back and go right back in the studio. I wanted to stay in the studio, but I said, you know, you got a tour, you got a tour. And so I said, okay, but I wanted to finish this thing. But in a way it worked out better because that album is so good. I mean, I, I really, I really, I'm really proud of that album. You should be. I, I love that record. And um, I think it still sounds great. Yeah. Um, and I want to mention in particular, the two first track, the first two tracks, because they weren't singles. But they're among my favorites, and Funk Connection, to uh, me, is still one of the best funk tracks from the era. And it wasn't a single. No, uh, people gotta maybe seek it out, but it is fantastic. And I wanted to ask you how you came up with that groove, and it just starts with like the drink pouring yeah. and that strumming guitar and the bass yeah. pluck in. It's got the, you know, that's the, 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 the uh, to me that's my favorite track on the album right there. Because I, I had as an instrumental. And you know, I had the whole do 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 and I do stuck it do I had the drum. I said that's what the drum part I want. I told everybody to play on that. And I said, you know, I want that, I want that like a rock guitar strum. You know, like imagine the Eagles or somebody like in you know the life in the fast lane, but I want it funky, you know, and so what we Brown said, hey man, do you mind if I put some lyrics in this, like a rap? And I said, yeah, yeah, because it would have been an instrumental. And so, and now I'm, I'm wondering, gee, is he going to do something? <laughs> he said, a song. When he came up with another rap, I was like, oh my goodness. You know, and he, and he's a, he was our rapper. I mean, he was just so good. And, and the lyrics he came up with, man, ugh. So I, when, when we finished that song, I thought, this is the best. I, that, that's my favorite. I, I don't like to say the best because there are good songs on it too, like Coming Back for More, which is one of my favorites there. But that's my favorite on the whole album. That's my favorite. Well, I'm glad I'm to hear that since I love it so much. Huh? <laughs> I'm glad to hear it since I love it so much. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean, that's great. That's great. I mean, well, even the trees are growing funk leaves. Oh, yes. when, I, when I saw that on the paper, I was like, wow. Dude, when you come up with this stuff, you know, <laughs> that's great. That's great. And Scott, you know, one of the ingredients that uh, really helps make a, a funk song great for me is the chant. It's got a great yeah. chant, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, everything's in it. Make um, a funk connection, funk with the T connection. Yeah. And then that must got, have been fun to play live. Did you guys do it live? We never did that live. Wow. We never did that live because what happened when we went live again, Brown and Berkeley were not in the group anymore. So we just mostly did, except for Do What You Want to Do and a couple more, we mostly did stuff we were recording at the time because we were promoting those albums. But we, when we were, when we were uh, playing live with those guys, that wasn't out yet. So, but when that came out, at that same time, we, by the time that came out, we were doing another album, which was the um, Totally Connected album. And what happened, the group was being fractured and people going in different directions. And so basically, we never really got to play that live. Yeah. But um, So we didn't have Brown to do that rap. And so I didn't want anybody else to do that rap except him. 
because I think he was just perfect with it, you know, because the way his voice was rising as it went on and it kept rising and louder, louder, you know, and he said, be liable to blow our funk resistor that I, nobody else I think could have done. He does that stuff. laugh. Yeah. It's just good. Yeah. 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 Um, Wow. Well, and coming back for more, I'm glad to hear that you like that one too, because I really oh, yeah. love that one too. And I thought it was just a great, it's a little catchier um, than like a Funk Connections hardcore funk. Coming yeah. back for more, it's got a little more R&B flavor, but still very funky. And um, I don't know, um, I felt like it maybe, uh, if not was influenced by, certainly had some common threads to like what Bro- Brothers Johnson were doing around yeah. that time. Yeah, yeah, we we they were one of our influences, you know, because I I just love that the way they did their funk because they had some real good funk records. Even when they did a song like a pop song, like um, what's that song they had? The poison. I'll be good to you. I'll be good to you. The guy's funking on that, and it's really a pop song, but mm-hmm. but no, it's a funk song because of how he's playing it. And when they did a uh, what's the other one? Um, funk. Um, Okay, I can't remember now. Um, well, it, it's Louis, it's Lewis Johnson's. Ain't, ain't we funkin' now? Ain't or or get or get the funk out my face. Yeah, get the funk out my face. That's the one. Get the funk out of my face, and he does the bass. Man, he was something else. Thunder tones. Yeah. Did you ever do any shows with them? No, no shows with them. Yeah. But I mean, they were produced by Quincy Jones, you know. Yeah. And your record, if I'm thinking of Brothers Johnson, I think it's a pretty big compliment. Yeah. That the production was at that kind of level. Yeah. Well, the thing with um, that song, coming back for more, like I was saying earlier, when we were going on tour and we come back, I rehauled, uh, rehauled that whole song, you know, because I wanted Dave to play something when Dave was, Dave is, <laughs> he was so good. And I, I wanted to be ding 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 in that break. I, I said, hey, we need something in there. So when we came back, we did we did some more stuff. The vocals were always good. The vocals were done right, but I just felt like it was something else. And so, going away and coming back, we were able to do that. And to me, I listen to it every day on 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 YouTube. I just like that song. That and Funk Connection. List of all the songs on that album, I listen to those two the most. Yeah, and they started off. So what a way to start yeah, it. Those. Um, yeah. Did you have much say in like what would be a single, or was it pretty much, you know, the label? I would say, but you know, um, usually the label decides uh, what's going to be a single. Um, and um, I don't know. Uh, I thought when we were in Capital, Best of My Love should have been a single, but they were saying no because it's selling the album. So people have to buy the album. And my argument was yeah, but if it's a, it's a single, it'll be on the radio all the time and people will, you know, would, would buy it more. But they didn't agree with that. So, but they had the last say, you know. Well, the last, um, I think it's the last one for TK. Yeah, totally connected. That was, you know, that title track and I like Funkin' With You. Those are more just great funk tracks. Yeah. Funkin' With You is a, is a song Dave brought to me. And because Dave used to come downstairs to me, obviously, we live in the high rise. He'd he live up there and I live down here. Yeah, I like, I don't want to go all the way in the nosebleed section. So he would come downstairs and say, hey, look at them working on this. And then this thing, it was funky as heck. And he didn't have words because they didn't write lyrics yet. So I said, oh, yeah, I can put lyrics to it. And so that's how we came up with that. And we said, okay, this, this will definitely make the album. Because I was producing it, so I could put whatever I wanted. So 
I put that on it. And so almost pretty much everybody had a song on it, you know. What were you like? What was your demeanor like in the studio? Uh, serious. <laughs> serious. Until I go back and listen to something, I go, oh, yeah, that's work. Like Berkeley on at midnight, when he hit that note, I can't hit it. He has a higher. And he hit midnight. Midnight? And he went way up there? I just went like, oh. <laughs> and the producers did the same thing. We all went, got thrown backwards, you know. Uh, so, yeah. Then I would, you would see me open up, but I'm serious as a heart attack when I'm in the studio. I got to make sure everything's grooving, man. My thing is groove, you know, because that's what I was like growing up, grooves, you know, you know. So that's how I was in the studio, serious. <laughs> and on most of those tracks, you're playing uh, keys. Are you playing other things on, on some of them? or? Uh, no, I'm playing key. Yeah, I'm playing keys on all the TK stuff. Now, when we went to Capitol, like say the ballads like Paradise, I'm playing acoustic guitar because Dave didn't play finger style, he played a pick. And so I play the guitar on that and I'm playing guitar on A Little More Love. Um, I don't think I'm playing anything else, but most of keys. keys we, talked to, we, we talked um, about your songwriting influence. Who is a, key, a keyboard influence for you? Oh, my first, the first guy that, that blew me away was Ramsey Lewis because mm. he was bluesy. And I can play, as a kid, I can play what he was playing. And then a couple of years later, a few years later, when I was in Freeport, and this American guy played, he said, I told him about Ramsey, man, I love Ramsey. He said, yeah, Ramsey's good. I know Ramsey, you know. This is, this is an American guy. He was a great piano player, also this guy. I know Ramsey. He's No, Ramsey's good. But I want you to hear something. He played Oscar Peterson. And I was like, oh, my God. The guy suddenly had 10 fingers on each hand. So I was like, wow. So he became my favorite. As far as people playing pop, keyboard, I, I really like um, um, the guy with Earthman Fire. Larry Dunn. Larry Dunn. I, I like the way he plays keyboards. He's one of the guys I, I really, really like. You know, I he mean, was actually, he was influenced by Ramsey Lewis, too. So. Yeah. Yeah, Ramsey was my first guy, man. Because Ram, Ramsey was so tasty. Sparing, you know, he didn't Go crazy a lot, you know. He's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful playing. I, as a bluesy, and it was bluesy. I love blues, man. And so he was bluesy, so I loved him. That was my guy, man. Ramsey Lewis. Yeah, and he straddles so many different styles too. Yeah, he's got a lot of a lot of lanes that he could go into. Yeah, yeah, he was good. And how would you decide upon your arranging? You know, um, how you would do your parts, and you know. How would you come up with some of that? Well, you know, a lot of the things you would see somebody said arranged by so-and-so, but I arranged everything on the record. They just wrote out the arrangement and they would put arranged by, you know. But the only song on the album where there was somebody else arranging was with Ray Chu on that first album with uh, um, 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 Everything is Cool. Uh, okay, there's some stuff that Ray actually ran because he is an arranger, but... So you see, I'm taking like TK records arranged by so and so and and T Copley. No, there's just T Copley. He just wrote down what I arranged, and so basically my arrangements was always. Um, I want to make sure I arrange the group. I want the groove, so I got to tell everybody what to play because I want the groove just like I want it in my head. Because I'm writing the song, so I want to know. Okay, this is what I want to play. So coming back for more, I know I want a straight groove, 
and I want to some lecture in there. And I want the bass. I don't want a lot of things in the way because I want the guitar player to do some stuff. So that's how I arrange. I try to make sure the groove is good. You know, I think of the groove first. When, when, when it's a dance song, groove first. What about in terms of what keyboard you choose? You know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, electric piano or synth or whatever. I play by, that I play by ear. Like, okay, I may do one keyboard and go like, you know, I think this other keyboard would be okay. Like, do what you want to do when we had the bass going, but I wanted a deeper sound in that break. And, or every time we go, like you hear it go, see, I didn't just want the bass to play this, it wouldn't be heavy enough. So they had a synthesizer at the time called the 2600. And the guy from the Bee Gees, Albie Galutin, he was good at programming that stuff. So he was walking through the studio and saying, hey, Albie, um, can you help me out with this thing? Could you program it for me so I could play it? Because I had no idea to program it. It was very complicated because you're patching stuff, you know? And he came, he said, oh, no problem. He just bing, 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 bing. There you go. And I just played that. Dow, dow, dow. That's the reason why that song is so funky, because that bass is so big, you know? And so stuff like that. I would play it by ear, and I go, like, you know, that should be heavier there, you know? And I would put that in. Like that, that's how I arrange. But I also have a basic arrangement to it. And then I put all this other stuff in. Fortunate that that guy happened to be around, you know? Because I, yeah. <laughs> I, I was sitting there in the studio, but I didn't know how to program it, because you didn't need to be a tech. He was a tech and a great musician at the same time. He did all the BG stuff, all the BG's funky stuff, because they went funky later on. They were more like a folk group at first, and then they did jive talking. That's him with that. Don't, don't, don't. That's him. And he's a hippie. I mean, he was. And, and, and you should be dancing. That was pretty funky. Yeah, that's all him. Well, yeah. that is him. He arranged everything on the records. Hmm. Brilliant dude. Brilliant dude. Yeah, what about the uh, presentation of T-Connection? You know, I'm looking right now, I have on my screen the Totally Connected cover. You guys are looking very dapper and sharp on that cover. Um, who influenced that? What kind of, you know, vibe were you guys going for? Well, you know, Corey, Corey, was, uh, Corey was saying, was it Corey? No, Corey. Yeah, Corey was saying, hey, guys, but I produced that album. So Corey was out, but Corey's the one said, if you guys are going to do something, do with this guy, Francesco Cavullo, who did everybody. I mean, he was, you look on all those, Francisco, you know? So we go there and we meet him. He's, I think he's Italian from Italy. Brilliant photographer. So they told us, our managers at the time said, look, I want you guys to dress up. <laughs> so we, we went to the store and we bought all this stuff like that. And so we, look, we were looking kind of dapper right there. So he took the great picture and you know, I had to throw back then, you know. It was a huge change from the pr- pr- previous album that had you guys without shirts or on a campfire yeah, uh, or something. Yeah, well, they, they thought that was cool, but the the, the uh, photographer, that was his idea. And all Corey and the record company, yeah. I, I didn't want to do it because, I, you know, I wasn't muscular, man, you know. <laughs> so they're like, nah, you, it's going to be great. It's going to be, you know, you got a song called like Midnight and we have the stars and it's going to be dark and you guys just meet there and people won't know whether you make it or not. So, <laughs> so you know, girls are like, we were really naked. I said, hey, I can't tell you. <laughs> you. You figure it out what you think, whatever you think. You know, there people may not realize there was a lot of that going on back then. I remember the Barquets had okay, no shirts on yeah, their yeah. cover, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. a lot of the guys, Slave had that you know, guy without the 
cop yeah. on and they're covered. Yeah. And... So yeah, that that was that was a photographer's uh, idea. He said, "Hey, this is going to be great," but it's our biggest album to this day, actually. That album because it had a longer range. It had the disco over here and the funk over here. If somebody likes funk, they buy the album. Disco, you know. So that that's yeah. our biggest album. That, Absolutely. That is the in Raymond Records that was the top selling record for months. Yeah. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.